Welcome to The Edges of Lean. I'm Bella Engelbach, and in this podcast, we explore the human and creative side of lean thinking, unusual places where lean thinking is practiced. We meet people who are practicing continuous improvement in many different flavors and styles. So come along with me on a journey to the edges of lean. Episode 62, Continuous Improvement and Brain Injury Recovery with Kai Schmidt. Kai Schmidt was a typical student with typical life until the day he woke up in a hospital and learned he had suffered two brain hemorrhages. Physically, he had to start over again and mentally, he was in a very dark place. What does it take to recover from something like this? And what did Kai learn that continuous improvers should take to heart? Just a note before we get started, we will be discussing suicidal thoughts. If you or a loved one are considering suicide, the number to call for help and support in the U.S. is 988. That's the new suicide hotline number in the U.S. And in the Netherlands, where Kai lives, it is 0900-0113. So 0900-0113. Kai Schmidt, welcome to the Edges of Lean. Thank you for having me. Kai, it's great to have you here today. And we wanted, we do want to suggest to people right at the beginning that um, in order to follow along with Kai's story, that you check out his website, uh, which is, can you say it for us? K-A-J-S-M-I-T.com. So Kai 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 Smith.com. Kai Schmidt.com and K-A-J-S-M-I-T.com because there are some um, photographs uh, there that will help you understand the story. Mm-hmm. So Kai, you are the youngest person ever to be on the edges of lean. So welcome. I'm just delighted to have you here. And you. you have had you have a story about how you have discovered the principles of continuous improvement through really something that was quite awful that happened to you. So can you yeah. tell us what happened? Well, uh, I'm 19 currently. And uh, on the 12th of May, 2021, after I turned 18 two months ago, I suffered two brain hemorrhages. And wow. I was my, well, I wasn't told, my parents were told that I had a 5% chance of surviving the night. And if I did survive the night, that I had another 95% chance of being brain dead. So if we add those numbers up, I would have a 0.25% chance of not being brain dead or dead. And that's not even taking account of rehabilitation process. Wow. And and uh, in the beginning, I, I guess, Kai, you had absolutely no idea what was going on, right? So you, you were just, you were living your life and... <laughs> Um, and then uh, you went, you went, I guess, through this period of, of uh, being in a coma, not knowing what was happening. What was it like when you woke up, when you first started to, to recover consciousness? Um, well, that's, that was actually very awful for me because the, how it, I'm going to sketch the situation before the accident and then during and then after so that you can follow along. And it was... I was working out because I worked out four to six times a week and didn't smoke, didn't use drugs, didn't drink, ate healthy, was 18, so very young. And I was studying for my high school exams from 8 a.m. until 8 p.m. 
And uh, I was working out in the garage. And then I had a huge headache in my left temple. And I lost vision in my right eye. So I thought, okay, this isn't right. I'm going to go inside, going to inform my parents on what's happening. And then I'm going to follow along. So I did that. And uh, we have camera footage around the, the house. We have security cameras. And you can see me walking towards the garage, living life to the fullest, not giving a care in the world, not having a care in the world, flailing my arms around. And then you see me walking back with my left hand on my left temple. And I stretch out my right arm in front of me because I can't see it anymore. Wow. Yeah. So it, it wasn't a black uh, spot or something. It was just when you grab a photograph and you fold it so that the middle isn't visible anymore. That's what it was like. It wasn't filled in. It was, but I didn't know that there was a gap until I was moving my arm and I thought, Hey, I can't see it here. And it's there. So I went inside, I informed my mother, okay, if you stand to the right of me, I can't see you. If you stand to the left of me, I can see you. And fortunately, my neighbor is a doctor. So they called him and he said, they said, okay, Kai is having a huge headache, which isn't normal for him. And he's having symptoms that aren't normal for, for headache. Can you come? So he came and what do you think he said? I would, well, I would guess that he said that you were having a stroke, but did he think that when you were 18 year old? Nope. He thought I had a migraine. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So he told me because he, he performed the, the three tests in which you conclude if you have a brain hemorrhage or not. He even did those tests. And we, those are, you have a tinseling sensation in your limbs, speech disorder, and impaired movement. So movements, movements is doing it as you wanted it to. And this is something I need to take. I'll inform you on what it is later, but it is actually very part of the story and it's a very interesting part of the story. So, uh, well, he, he told me I had a migraine, go upstairs, lay in bed, everything's going to be all right. If I'd done that, I would have been dead. Oh my goodness. So for those of you who are listening and not watching, what's going on is that uh, Kai had a little alarm go off. He said, I, that's something I need to take. And uh, you're, you're not taking some medication. So yeah. that's part, part of the story. It's part of the story. I'm going to get there because it's a very happy ending part of the story. But it's also something I have to live with. And um, so the doctor, my neighbor, said, okay, you have a migraine because you don't have tintling sensation in your limbs you don't have impaired speech you don't have movement uh, dysfunction none of it so he thought okay uh you see you can't see your right eye that's something that occurs during a migraine and you have a huge headache well migraine i don't blame him because no one knew mm. but um after that i laid down on the ground because have you ever had a fever that's where you're so hot that you just want to lay on the ground where it's cold? Yeah. That was what I was experiencing. So I had a huge headache and I was very hot. So I laid down on the ground. My mother tried to close the curtains and we have those balls on a string. Mm -hmm. 
which make a rattling sound. I was screaming in agony, like, please stop, stop, stop. This is hurting so much. And my parents didn't know what was happening. So um, I remember laying down on the ground and then suddenly everything went black, like poof, out of nowhere. And uh, in real time, two months passed. Oh my goodness. Yep. And in the, when it went black, I supposedly I had an epileptic attack. Or not supposedly I had an epileptic attack. That was when my parents called the emergency numbers, the emergency services, and they rushed over and they take me to the hospital. Surgeon was flown in by helicopter to perform emergency surgery on me. And then my parents were told the same night, hey, your, your son has a 5% chance of surviving the night. And if he does, we don't know in what kind of state he will awake. That must have been, I mean, for for them, it must have been just the worst day of their lives. Yeah, it, it definitely was, yeah. But my parents, they said they weren't stressing out. They were very calm and they were, they were in kind of a zone. Like when something bad happens, you either panic or you're in a zone and you, everything comes in, but it's slow and you can, you can process everything. That's how they were. So they... Yeah, they didn't like it, of course. They hated it, and they um, they thought, oh, damn, am I going to lose my son this night? But for me, I was not in, in I was not in, a, in a kind of dream state. I just was out for two months, and I awoke two months later, and for me, it was like mere seconds. Everything went black. I woke. I couldn't speak, couldn't move. and was in a strange place with people I didn't know. So, and this was, and this was now a completely different life for you. So you had been yeah. living a life before where you were competent, capable, you could yeah. do what you wanted to do. You could work out, you could study. Um, you were, actually, you were yeah. in control of your life before. I was very in control of my life. I had a study uh, schedule from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., worked out in between and watched movies at the end. I was going to parties. I actually had a, a room uh, available for me in a big city in which I was going to go to university to. And uh, I had everything planned out until the next three years. And then suddenly, poof, everything changed and I had to learn how to speak, think, well, the gross part, wipe my ass, everything. I had to learn everything. Mm -hmm. And that, when my friends were enjoying their life, studying, having a gap year, working out, doing their jobs. And I was in a wheelchair, not able to speak. So I thought this was all a dream. Because have you ever seen the movie Inception? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. Now, not, not many people have seen it. And for the people who haven't seen it and that are listening, it's a movie about Leonardo DiCaprio who enters someone else's dream and then implants a, an idea, in which case they think it's their idea in which they act upon it. In the movie, Leonardo DiCaprio has a wife. That's part of the story. And she thinks at some point when she's truly in reality that she's still in a dream. Do you know which solutions he comes up with to escape the dream? I don't remember. No, tell us. 
is to commit suicide to end her life because oh yeah they, in the movie they scare each other in which part they fall into a, a, a bath full of water or they uh someone screams at them or something mostly with water and stuff but to wake up and i thought okay i tried that i tried to scare myself in order to wake up didn't work so in the exact same order as she thought i thought okay i have to scare myself in most extreme way so end my life and uh, but i was a vegetable i couldn't do anything so how was i going to end my life because i couldn't move couldn't speak and didn't know anybody so after a few weeks i could speak again and the first thing one of the first things i asked my mother was mom can you get me a gun i don't want to continue anymore i want to wake up so you, at that point, you, your solution and that you had in mind was essentially to end your life and to, because, yep. because you didn't see any other way around. I so, but Kai, you're, you're here and, and thank goodness yeah. you're, you're here. So what, what turned that around? What, what helped make the difference for you? Three things. First was medication, obviously, because I was in a comatose state in which I was looking through everyone. Nothing was really coming in. Everything was going one ear in, the other out. And I could only think of killing myself because, well, I wasn't by, I wasn't very conscious at the moment. So the second one was texting with friends again. Because, and this may sound weird, because, but I could predict everything everyone said and did. Wow. Because, because um, I drank five liters of water every day. So I was constantly drinking. And I asked the nurses, can you get me a new bottle of water? They said, yeah, give me five minutes, I'll be back. So when I asked them, can you get me a bottle of water? I knew I had to wait five minutes. So I asked five minutes in advance. And every time, without question, they would say that line. So I thought, okay, this has to be a dream. The other thing that I had was, and the medication helped with this, was um, I thought some things were teleporting because I had brain damage, severe brain damage. So when I put my phone to the right of me and I went to sleep, I awoke and it was to the left of me because I couldn't remember putting it to the left of me or someone did it in my sleep. But I thought, okay, some, something is teleporting. And it didn't make sense. So your mind was making up explanations yeah. for, for, for things. For bad that, memory. Because, yeah. because I had short-term memory loss, like Dory from Finding Nemo. Oh, right. Just, yeah. But you just had to keep on swimming then. So. Yeah, yeah, I had to keep on swimming. I quote that daily. Just keep on swimming. And um, so, so um, I thought this was all a dream because I could predict everything everyone did and my memory was hazy so I thought two solutions one I have to remember a full week of activities I'd done and in that that way I was actually training my memory again I didn't know it at the time but I was training it again to be able to remember everything which helped me come out of the dream 
So, and that's that's really interesting from a just from a continuous improvement perspective because so you can sort of imagine that you know that there is there is a goal out there right of going back to your old life or or, or living living um, you know a new full life with everything, but there's so many things that need to be accomplished along the way, right? As you know, as you said. In your case, everything, having to yeah. relearn everything, rewire the, the brain, um, you know, rewire around the the parts of the brain that, that are damaged. Um, and what you did there, right, saying, I want to set, oh, the, you know, I want, I want to remember a week's worth of activities. Yeah. That's setting exactly what we tell people to do um, in Lean, which is to set a small goal. Yeah. That you can, you, that is not too far away, right? No. It's not a goal that is really, really far. It's, a, it's only a week. I and even then, made a smaller goal, in which case I had to remember every name of every nurse. So that was even smaller because I could accomplish that in a day. Oh, my goodness. And I, yeah. I accomplished that in two days or something. Yeah. And uh, so those were the two conditions in which I thought, okay, I have to remember a full week worth of activities. And I have to remember every name of every nurse. So I've done that. And, I, and by doing that, then you were now training your brain I was to training remember. My memory. I was training my yeah. short-term memory and long-term memory because long-term memory was also uh, jacked up, broken. Because when someone asked me, okay, Kai, what did, you, what did you do on Sunday? I couldn't remember. I could tell them, yeah, I woke up and I went to bed. Well, obviously, but... I couldn't remember every, anything in the middle. So I knew, okay, I have to remember that in order to wake up. So when I accomplished those goals, I was still a vegetable. I couldn't do anything. And I thought, okay, how am I going to escape this? Because I did what I was supposed to do, right? I accomplished the tasks. Then my final solution was committing suicide. And what do you think my mother said to me? Well, if I was your mother, kind, I would say, I would, I would say, I don't think that that's the way to move forward. But what did your mom say? Give me three months. Three months? Because that, that did two things for me. One, it didn't, uh, she didn't deny me a gun. She didn't think, say, oh, you have to live, you've got this to live for, this to live for, because she knew. I wasn't the Kai I was before, and I was never going uh -huh. to be the Kai I was before. And so she thought, okay, but maybe in three months, everything is going to change. We don't know. And maybe he'll improve very quickly. Spoiler alert, it took me 11 months. It took 11 months. It took, it took 11 months. And, and in... In doing that, though, Kai, I, what she did was, I guess she said to you, all right, let's, let's, ex in a way, maybe I don't, she may not even known about this other stuff you were doing, but, but in a way she was saying, let's just make that, that goal horizon a little bit longer, right? We're not. That, that was exactly what she did. She thought, yeah. okay, uh, just give me a few, few months. Maybe things will improve because she told me, I actually had forgotten this, but she told me that, um, when I first arrived in my rehabilitation center in Beetschwaag, uh, which is 50 minutes from my house, and uh, I got a 
typing thing in front of me. It was that uh, you typed and it spoke. Uh -huh. the first thing I, I, the first thing I wrote on it was suicide. Not oh, I'm Kai. It was suicide. So it was constantly on my mind. And in cases of suicide, I didn't want to die. I just wanted to escape the situation I'm in right now. And that's what suicide event is essentially. It's not wanting to die. It's wanting to escape the horrible situation you're in right now. And death isn't a cold shower. It's more like a warm bath for you at that moment. So so, so the, the idea of suicide was about... This looks like a solution to get out of this situation. Yeah. And, and I think that's true in other cases where people are contemplating suicide. It's not, as you said, not necessarily that they want to die. It's, it's that the situation seems untenable and that there are no other apparent solutions in the in the situation so Absolutely. and i'm not a psychiatrist, psychiatrist i'm not an expert on this at all and and no yeah but, but uh, then then um there are a few stages of suicide and according to in which stage you are you can still uh help someone verbally or you have to get immediate attention that's in what kind of way have they planned their suicide and the, the aftermath because if they've written handwritten notes for everyone you've got to get emergency services there right away but if they say oh yeah i want to die and you ask them but how are you going to do it and they say i don't know jump in front of a train they are still they they do not really want to die they say that more as a oh yeah i want to die kind of joke but if they if they improve in they if they gradually proceed in planning their death and how their, how their funeral is going to be like and who's going to be attending and who, in what order they get the letters. Then the, the more they've planned out their suicide and the aftermath, the more they are going to actually do it. So what, at what point were you then, Kai, I, in? Well, that was actually pretty funny because I didn't write any letters because I thought, well, it's just a waste of time. They're all in my head. Yeah. I was I was pretty far because I was planning on how I was going to do it, where I was going to do it, when I was going to do it. Because I thought, okay, I if I get if I get a gun and I do it in an open space, people are going to rush at me. I don't have time to shoot myself. I have to do it in the night when no one is around me and when I've got plenty of time to to really do it so i was planning out when i was going to do it how i was going to do it and who was there and who wasn't so i was very far along and what did you get any a psychological or, or psychiatric help at this yeah, point with, yes with i it? did yeah i did uh, immediately uh, when i when i arrived there i had a therapist of psychology uh, i had a therapist who uh, evaluated me mentally and well everything she said just went one ear in the other out because i knew yeah this is all just fake yeah you're fake but this fake and that's the scary part because i didn't want to listen to their solutions because i i knew this was fake it was all it was all still a dream it, it was, was all a, it was all a dream and 
they wanted to keep me in a dream. That was that was what I thought. And everything I couldn't explain, I explained it like, okay, this is my subconscious doing this. Yeah. So, so your mind, your brain was was had to explain this very, yeah. very weird situation yeah. you were because, in. Because I couldn't remember having a headache. I couldn't remember anything. The past month before the accident, I couldn't remember it. So I couldn't remember taking my exams I, or studying for my exams. I couldn't remember anything. So for me, it was just like, okay, I went to school. I passed, I had vacation, poof, I was here and I woke up in a bed. So I have to still be in bed. It's, a, it's all. I slept, it, yeah. And I slept 16 hours a day because wow. I had the hope of every time I went to sleep that I would wake in my real bed and in my bed at home and I could walk again. And I could do everything. And so how did you, how did you, start to realize that it wasn't a dream and that it was reality and that you actually had a role to play in your recovery three things first one which one i told medication so medication I, yeah medication second was texting friends because i could predict everything and i texted my friends hey guys how are you doing i expected an answer back like hey kai how are you doing i'm doing fine how's life but the answer I got back was, holy shit, Kai, are you alive? What <laughs> happened to you? Where are you? Can you move anything? What can you do? What can't you do? Can we visit you? And I couldn't predict that. I, I couldn't explain it like, oh, my subconscious is doing this because it was too absurd. And I, uh, they told me that they got an email from, from my high school. And I'd also gotten that email. So I read the email and I thought, okay, yeah, two and two makes, one and one makes two. So they are telling me I got an email. I got an email. I can see the email. They are telling, they're saying in the email, I had a brain hemorrhage. So this all makes sense. So that was one of the things, but the most shocking and most deciding factor was a, a friend of family came by that and he had a stroke in canada when he was 14 he lived in the netherlands and he also thought this was all a dream except for for when he went on the plane and arrived back into the netherlands he knew okay this is reality and when he walked in i couldn't see anything uh, off with him he was he was practicing for a bodybuilding match he was driving a car again he didn't sound funny or weird and he told me, okay, Kai, this isn't a dream. And I'm going to send you a postcard when I'm back. And on that postcard, I'm going to say, this isn't a dream. So that way you can still remember that this isn't a dream. And I, I asked him, how did you get so well? Because I'm, I, I get lifted from my bed with, a, with an elevator. I am showered lying down. How are you so well? He said, yeah, I gave myself 120% for every therapy. So uh, then I switched rehabilitation center because the one I was currently in was a broad rehabilitation center for born with brain damage, not born with brain damage, uh, rehabilitating from a broken leg, everything. Mm -hmm. And 
Then I went to a rehabilitation center specialized in not born with brain damage by with young people. So between the ages of 16 and 35. So people with traumatic brain injury. Yeah. yeah. Young, young people where, with traumatic. Yeah. Where so, life before the injury? Because yeah. if you're born with it, you don't know anything else except that you've had it. So yeah. you, you're rehabilitating, but what are, you re what are you rehabilitating for? Because you don't know anything else. And in that rehabilitation, it's called the Dan Thewis Centrum. Dan Thewis is a name of a guy. And um, in that center, they are, they perform intense therapy from 8 a.m. until 5 p.m. every day. So that was like your previous schedule for, uh, for studying, right? Yeah, you, you, yeah. Had, you had a full day of work to do. Yeah, but at this time, I was, I had a lot of fatigue because of the brain hemorrhage and when you have brain hemorrhage you get if you're overstimulated you just your brain just shuts down uh-huh and you're very you're tired very quickly fortunately though i don't have the overstimulating problem which is the silent killer with brain damage uh-huh if i tell them yeah i went to a nightclub uh, from 10 p.m until 7 a.m they look at me like i'm crazy and every rehabilitation patient in my rehabilitation center says to me, Kaya, how do you do it? If I even hear a song on the radio, which is too loud, I lay down on the ground and scream. And I was like, yeah, no, I don't have that problem. So you're very, yeah. you were very fortunate in that way. I'm very fortunate in that way. Probably yeah. because I was overstimulating my brain a lot because I listened to music 24-7. I was gaming a lot. I was going to parties a lot. So I was overstimulating my brain before the accident and I was very healthy. So that's also one of the things that probably made me recover so quickly because they, the doctors, my rehabilitation doctor admitted, and I think that's very brave of him admitting it, yeah. that when he saw, when, he, when my parents asked if I could be transferred to the Dan Thiel Center, he looked at my brain scans and looked at me in the hospital. He said, and he discussed with the other doctors, they said, this guy isn't going to improve. His brain damage is too severe that he, if, he, if he is even going to improve, it's going to take 10 years. Well, I did in, nine, in 11 months. So in 11 months. Yep. Yeah. I speed run it. Yeah. So you, so you did the 120% attention and, and and the work every, every every day yeah what were some of the things that you discovered as you went through the re the recovery that were um you know if you can recall that was so different from the way you approached your life before because it sounds like you were a pretty focused person before i was pretty focused yeah yeah especially on school and the goals i had but yeah. i only looked at the goal and that made me give up sometimes Oh. I didn't look at where I started and that's the most valuable lesson I learned is don't look at the end goal look at where you started that way you can see the improvements you've made that way you can stay positive and keep on improving and that's contradicting everything every motivational guru has ever said because they said say only look forward don't look back I say look forward but also look back because wow yeah if you if you for example you want to run a marathon and that's 50 miles 
and you start. You can't rem- you can't even run one mile without being exhausted. After two weeks, you can run one mile without being exhausted. But you think, yeah, this is one mile. It's not 50. But if you look back at where you started, you couldn't even run that one mile. So you see the improvements and you say, wait, I'm going to get there. Just give me time. And yeah, that has also, uh, because my rehabilitation center worked with six-week goals. And they, uh, after some time, they said to me, Kai, in six weeks, you have to walk. That's our goal. You have to walk 50 meters. And um, week one, I couldn't even get out of my wheelchair. So how in the name of God am I even going to walk 50 meters? It was impossible. I couldn't fathom the the even walking 50 meters in six weeks. So what my dad did was he divided up the goals. And that's also one of the lessons. Divide up your goals. And in a way, like, don't work in six-week goals. Work in one-week goals, which, yeah. you said in, which you said in the beginning. Week goals, you can, you can uh, measure them immediately instead of six-week goals and you measure them after six weeks and then you fail and you think, oh, I failed. But what this did to me was week one, get out of the wheelchair. Week two, walk three meters. Week three, walk eight meters. And after six weeks, I didn't reach 50 meters. I reached 40. But I didn't see it as failing. I, I thought, give me two more weeks and I'm there. And that's what made me improve because I didn't see when I didn't reach the goals that I, they had set for me. I didn't see this failing. I thought, give me a few more weeks and I'm there. And then you are, but you also have the opportunity then to look back and say, well, yeah. six weeks ago, I couldn't get out of the wheelchair. And now look what I can do. I can, and, I can yeah. get out of the wheelchair. I can, I can put one foot in front of the other. I can, you know, yeah. whatever, whatever. I can walk little... 40 meters instead of 50, yeah. but I can, I yeah. can walk 40 meters. I couldn't do that six weeks ago. So that right. gave me, when they told me, yeah, guy, you didn't, you didn't achieve the goals that we set for you. So you failed. I said to them, no, I didn't fail. I, because six weeks ago, I couldn't even walk. Give me two more weeks and I'm there. And that's what kept me positive. Looking back and setting goals. Because I've got a very funny, but also, um, well, very realistic goal, uh, challenge for you. And that's, uh, where in the world are you located? America? I'm in Philadelphia. Yeah. Okay. So I would, I, if I'd ask you to swim to Cuba and you'd get $20 million, would you do it? You can take as long as you want, but you have to reach it. For $20 million. Hmm. Well, let's say I say yes, Kai. So how would I start? But do you, okay, you'd say yes, but do you think you would actually make it? Yes or no? Do I think I would actually make it? From Philadelphia? From the nearest coast. Oh, from, from the, the nearest West? coast. Um, I don't know that I could, that I don't know that I would make it, but. You're going to try. I'm going to try, yeah. And that's because I, I made a method, which is wishing, believing, daring, doing. You dare to take the next step, but you don't believe you can make it. And that messes up the order of the of my method eventually, but I got a solution to it. And that's, if I would were to say that every half a mile there was a boat, or every mile there was a boat, and you can rest on the boat, you can take as long as you want still, 
There's food on the boat, drinks, sleeping occasions, everything you want. Uh, and you can still take as long as you want. Are you going to do it? Yes or no? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, because your next your, your goal doesn't become Cuba. It becomes the next boat. Right. Because yeah. you divided up your goals. And you don't look at the end goal. You look at the next boat in which it becomes fathomable to reach the next boat because you've reached the first boat so you can reach the second. And if you're tired, you can just rest and drink something, eat something. And so eventually you're going to reach the end of the boats and you're going to reach Cuba. But your goal wasn't to reach Cuba. Your goal was to reach the next boat. Yeah, yeah. And that, but then when you you do, supposing I did, quote unquote, mm -hmm. swim to Cuba, I could then look back and say, well, you know, I did swim all that distance. Maybe it was only in half mile, in half mile pieces. But yeah. I guarantee but, you, I'd be a better swimmer at the end than I was when I started. Yeah, right. Yeah, that, that's true. But this this lesson is more about defining up your goals. Yeah. Because if you make an, it's an end goal for, I want to be rich. Yeah. How are, you, how are you going to be rich? Yeah. You have to start with something. And if you make your first $10,000, you, you're not a, you're not a millionaire yet, but you, you have at least $10,000 that you didn't have before. And that's what get, get me positive the most was looking back at where I was, where I started. And for the people who are on my website, kjsmit.com, you can go to my story and there you can see photos and videos. The first few photos are a bit shocking, so be prepared. But the first photo was for me one day before my accident. And the other one was on in the ICU the two days later. And wow. looking, looking back at those photos kept me positive because I knew, okay, at that time I was struggling to keep, keep on living. This time I'm struggling to move my left arm for 10 centimeters or something. Right. And, and just those very tiny goals. Yeah. They kept me. Pregnant. I think, I think the other thing that's interesting, Kai, as you're saying this is you struggled for such a long time, not being sure if what you were experiencing was a dream, but the tiny goals actually are things that kept you pinned to reality right that they were that, well yes and no because the first six weeks i was very suicidal i suicide was only on my mind constantly and i wasn't giving my all for therapy it was when i knew this was reality and i because i didn't want to die i wanted to wake up in reality and when i knew this was the reality i was trying so trying so desperately to get back to that was when I knew, okay, I have to work 120%. Yep. That was when I thought, okay, I'm going to give my parents the, their Kai back. I'm going to give their son back. I'm going to, the first few months, I didn't rehabilitate for myself. I rehabilitated for my parents because I give, I put them through hell. Mm. And after a few months, I didn't wasn't improving as much as i thought i was and my therapist said said so because my physical therapist my walking therapist uh, said to me kai um you're you're a young guy you're motivated you're you've got brain damage by brain hemorrhage but in most occasions two months and you can walk again it took me six to eight months because i uh, 
I do you know the Parkinson's disease? Yes. I've got the park. I've got Parkinsonism, which means I have the symptoms of the Parkinson's disease, but I don't have Parkinson's disease. And that case, I have to take pills. Dopamine that's pills. what the, that's what the pills are for. That's what the pills are for. Just so a little bridge to the pills. And that's uh, I wasn't improving for. I was uh, clinical for four months in my new rehabilitation center, and I was uh, clinical. Uh, for two months in my previous rehabilitation center. So six months, I was improving, but improving very slowly. My arm therapist, which is specialized in the motor function in your arm, said to me, Kai, you're stagnating. We have to think of solutions. So a brace, bionic arm, everything, because your left arm mm. isn't going to work like your right arm is. If I would have believed them, I would have given up. But I thought, no, I'm going to show you. I'm going to make it. And um, But I didn't know how because I was giving it my all. I was very positive. I still wasn't improving. And my parents said to me, Kai, you were making spectacular improvements. But my therapist and the doctor say, said, Kai, you're stagnating. You're not improving as much. We have to think of other solutions. So... Uh, the funding of being able to go to a rehabilitation center is coming from an insurance company. And if you're not improving as much as they'd like or not improving at all, they're going to stop the funding. So you're going to be sent to a nursing home. I was cognitively, I was a-okay. Physically, I wasn't okay. But the nightmare and the pressure of being sent to a rehabilitation home if I didn't improve was keeping me up at night. So you had to you had to start working for yourself then as well and not just for your parents. I yeah, so I at some point I knew and I received some feedback from them that they they know I'm working for them, but they then I also have to work for myself. So that was what I did. I thought, okay, I don't want to be this vegetable boy anymore. I want to be the guy who had his life planned out, who had everything going for him. I want to get back, back to that one. So I worked 120% for every therapy, kept positive, was always smiling, always cracking jokes, but I was still in a wheelchair. And uh, uh, do you know how long 10 meters is? Yes. Yeah. Okay. How long do you think it took me to walk 10 meters the first time I did it? Uh, five minutes? 10 minutes. 10 minutes. One, one meter. One minute. One minute. Wow. One minute a meter. Yeah. That was insanely slow. I, a turtle could even pass me at that point. So, um, that was the first time I walked. And, um, I didn't like the rehabilitation center at all. I thought it was hell. I even told my parents when I went on weekend break and I had to go back, I had said to them, no please don't take me back to that hell again because I, because I hated the nurses. Not all of them. There were very few exceptions who were very kind and very loving, but for the majority, they were just evil in my opinion. And that made it hell for me because I relied on the nurses. So Kai, um, 
Tell me again your method. Tell me what the the, the wishing, four steps are. Believing, wishing. daring, doing. Do you wish to achieve your goal? Do you believe you can achieve it? Do you dare to take the next step? Well, then do it. Yeah. That's because, um, well, I, I wasn't improving, but I had to stay positive. And at some point, my dad asked me, okay, Kai, can you move your left arm? And I said to him, yeah, but I can't. I have never done it, been able to do it. I can't do it. So he said to me, do you even think you can do it? I said, no, I don't think I can do it. And before, before even the believing part, that was wishing. So really wanting to achieve your goals. Because I always said, yeah, but I can't do it. I don't want to do it. I want to do it. I want to be able to do it, but I don't want to do it. That was what I said. And my dad always went into a laughing, burst of laughing, burst out laughing because uh -huh. that was just so much bullshit. Just, I want to do it, but I want to be able to do it, but I don't want to do it. What's that? That's... So, like, I'd like to have that million dollars, but I, but I, I don't really don't want to do it. any of the work to get I don't a million wanna, dollars. I, I don't want to work for it. I want to receive it. So give it yeah. to me, but I don't want to put in the work for it. That's not how it work, work, works. So my dad said, okay, the first step is wanting. So in Dutch is wanting, in English is wishing to achieve your goals. Then he asked me, okay, guy, when my therapy, I had intense therapy from 8 a.m. until 5 p.m. And after that, my drill sergeant father, I call him my yes. drill sergeant, um, made me do rehabilitation exercises after I'd finished. So he said to me, Kai, we're going to move your left arm right now. Grab that bottle. I said, I'm not able to do it. Why not? Because I've never been able to do it in therapy. So he said to me, do you even think you can do it? He said, no, because I haven't been able to do it. Okay, believing is the next step. So wishing believing yeah. then uh, i could walk again i well i could walk again with a cane and when someone was holding my hands but when they removed the cane or let go of my hands i froze because i wasn't able to catch myself when i was unstable in which case i was scared to fall so my my father was walking with me holding my hands, and he suddenly let go. I froze. I couldn't move and make a next step. He said to me, Kai, why aren't you moving? I said, yeah, because I'm scared to fall. He even dared to take the next step. I said, no, no, because I'm scared to fall. Okay, next step is daring. And those are three main things. Wishing, believing, daring, doing. Because if you wish, if you truly wish to achieve your goals and you believe you can do it and you're not scared to take the next step, only then are you going are you able to to do it yeah and if you have made that if you have made that goal a small goal you don't have to dare a whole lot right no nope, you have to, to take that next step with your yeah. dad right next to you that's not um, yeah. that's not a massive amount of daring that's not like jumping out of an airplane right no but no, it's he, it's, it's, it's a swim with sharks or something it was the, yeah that's what i was thinking about about swimming to cuba is the sharks but um but that is but that is the that is the other secret right you're not asking yeah. to dare to do the whole thing you're only asking to dare to do a small thing but you yeah. still need to, you still need to take and that step to move into that uncomfortable space. Yeah, because let's take a little kid, for example, a little kid, when he learns to walk, he falls over very often. But if he were to quit after falling once, 
then no one would be able to walk. Yeah. So so it's it's daring to take the next step and accepting failure and moving past it. And then doing it. And then doing it. Yeah. Well, Kai, I think we're we're just about out of time. And this has been it's been so interesting to hear from you and to hear your story and what you've learned along the way and um your your method, your approach that you have um developed out of this, which is just so consistent with what we we know about continuous improvement. And I'd just like to wrap up um again by telling people about your website, which is kaischmidt.com, K-A-G-S-M-I-T. Dot com. And just ask you my final question, which is, what is your one piece of advice for young people studying out? Which don't you're in a unique position to give. Don't look at the end goal, look at where you started. Because you may want to be an end of rich, you may want, to, uh, may want that big house, beautiful wife, beautiful husband. But you, if you only look at where, you, where your end goal is, you're going to be demotivated. And going to show, to stop because you don't see the improvements. But if you look back and you look at where you started and you look where you were a month ago, you're going to stay positive. So don't look at the end goal. Look at where you started. And and stay positive. Kai Schmidt, thank you so much for traveling with me to the edges of Lean. Thank you for having me. This is Bella Engelbach, and I'd like to thank Kai Schmidt for being my guest on the Edges of Lean. Where did you start? And how far have you come? What tiny steps have carried you forward? We'd love to hear from you. Find Kai at kaischmidt.com, that's K-A-J-S-M-I-T.com, or on LinkedIn. Find me on LinkedIn or at leadforhumans.com, or comment wherever you watch or listen. Subscribe to the podcast and tell a friend about The Edges of Lean. Please join me in exploring more of the edges of Lean. There's a lot to learn. And check out my friends in the Lean Communicators community at leancommunicators.com. You'll find more podcasts and videos with lots of great new content every week. The Edges of Lean is written and produced by Bella Engelbach with support from Podcast Inc. This is a Lean for Humans production.